Hello and welcome to Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. I recently wrapped up a summer internship at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I had a fantastic time interning in the collections department, assisting with exhibits, caption writing, and accessioning items into the museum database. More to come from my Hall of Fame colleagues in later episodes. Today on the show, we have two great guests from the NFL's Carolina Panthers, Heather Arledge and David Monroe. Heather is the team's historical and legends affairs coordinator, while David is the team's historian. He's been with the franchise since 1994, before they even played their first game. I spoke with Heather and David on September 7th, the night of the NFL's opening game. No overtime segment this week, so let's get right to our conversation. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm speaking with two guests, each from the Carolina Panthers. Heather Arledge is the historical and legends affairs coordinator, and David Monroe is the team historian. How are you both doing today? I'm doing Doing good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm well. Thanks for being here. I'd love to start with you, Heather. And as I was preparing for the interview, I came across your LinkedIn profile and noticed like sports and history have always kind of been a passion based on some of your experiences. And I was the same way and still am the same way. And just curious, like how those interests came about for you in your life. So I feel like my story and getting to where I am today is kind of interesting and unique. So I was born and raised in North Carolina, and I guess it really starts in college. Um, I went to Appalachian State University. I was a third generation app student. And growing up, you know, my my family were always season ticket holders and Appalachian State football was all I really knew when like kids in school would ask me like, what football team do you like? I was like, oh, Appalachian State. And they're like, no, like Duke or Clemson or like professional teams. But that was just my world. And so my dad and I are really close and really bonded over it. And he's been, he's worked in emergency medicine for over 25 years. He's been a PA in that space. And, you know, so that's what was familiar to me. And I kind of like science. And so actually started as a cellular and molecular biology major, but freshman chemistry told me otherwise that the medical field probably wasn't going to be for me, but I've always loved history and specifically museum spaces and, you know, material culture and heritage materials. I was always the kid that would get excited to watch documentaries in class or go on museum trips and like reading every description and I, I can kind of see the magic in artifacts, just how it it bridges the past and present and kind of connects us in a really special way. Like it makes it real. Like if you go and see Hammurabi's code, like this is something that has laid the foundation for society. Like this is real, not just something you read about. So I took some archaeology classes and for gen ed and really liked it and found my way into public history, which is where those objects go and how we interpret them. And all the while I'm having this existential crisis of like, what am I going to major in? I also started working for the football team um, because, you know, Appalachian State football was my world. And I was working with their recruiting department and really fell in love with that because I've always been a people person. I love building relationships. And that's really what recruiting is, is building relationships with these families and these young guys who are making a really big decision in their life and really enjoyed that. And so all the while they're kind of like on two tracks. And I think my senior year, they really merged and it clicked for me um, because I was approached my senior year by our history department at Appalachian State to write an honors thesis to complete my career. And they're like, you can do whatever you want. And I've, I've always, you know, been a little different and want to be unique. And I was like, well, 
I know there's a little contention in any university between athletics and academics, but is there a way that I could bridge these two? And it all came down to doing a investigative research thesis on Appalachian State's athletic archives. And so all senior year, I was looking at professional institutions like the Smithsonian, the National Archives, kind of seeing what the best practices are in, you know, your traditional historic spaces and how we can apply those to non-traditional spaces such as athletic archives, because I think they're kind of forgotten and not given the professional priority that, you know, more antiquated archival collections are because they are so contemporary. So it was just really interesting, you know, looking at what the professional standard is, what the status of this athletic archival collection was, and how we can kind of find this hybrid customized plan to really prioritize these things, because this is where our stories live and sometimes go to die. And that's a little long-winded, but senior year. Now I'm looking for a job and I didn't even think about the NFL. It was never on my radar. I really wanted to do college football recruiting because again, love those relationships and then potentially museum work um, because I do have my degree in public and applied history with a minor in nonprofit management. So I cast my nets in both ponds and I don't remember applying for the community relations internship at the Carolina Panthers because, you know, I had a nonprofit minor. I had done, you know, logistics and coordination work with the athletic department and events planning. And the Panthers were the only ones who called me back. So it kind of was meant to be. So in 2019, I started with the Carolina Panthers as their community relations intern. And my cubicle just so happened to be outside of David Monroe's office. And so we got talking and I think he had already kind of gotten wind about me and my work because through my interview process, I talked a lot about my thesis. And so actually in my final interview, one of my bosses wrote on a piece of paper and like slid it across the table. And I was like, oh God, I've like messed this up. I was like, what did I say wrong? I've really blown it. And as I got to know her when I was hired, I was like, Lainey, what did you write on that piece of paper in my final interview? And she was like, oh, I wrote that you would be perfect to work with David Monroe. Like, y'all would be the perfect team. So it feels like the universe, even though I was like stumbling along the whole time, like every step was intentional. And, you know, now here I am working with David and it's, I feel really, really lucky that I'm literally using my degree. And then on the legend side, that refers to all of our former players who played a regular season game here. It's, you know, how I was working at the beginning of these guys' professional careers in a way. Now I'm on the back end of it. So I still get to build those relationships and foster, you know, uh, assistance through big life changes in their football career, you know, on the back end now. And I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's kind of crazy. I have to pinch myself a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Like that's, resonating a lot with me as somebody that grew up loving to read and loving going to museums and kind of pairing my love for sports with those kind of skills and experiences I've had. So that's a, a really neat um, story that led you to the Panthers. And David also being with the Panthers, I believe you were there even before the team started playing in the mid 90s. So how did you kind of come to the Panthers? And what was it like to be part of the staff before they started playing games? Yeah, so I started with the Panthers as an intern in the communications department in the fall of 1994. The franchise uh, had been awarded a year earlier 
in October of 1993. It was a lot of fun being a part of a new franchise uh, from the ground up and seeing everything from the very beginning. We didn't know what we didn't know. And obviously the, the staff was a lot smaller uh, at that time than it is now. And, and so you kind of got your hands in a lot of different buckets and got to uh, see a lot of different things, learn a lot of different things, uh, and learn from a, a, a number of different people who had uh, great NFL experience. You know, one of the one of my tasks as a communications intern was to um, clip all the articles out of newspapers that were about the Panthers. And then so we clip the articles out, paste them on a piece of paper, and then make um, photocopies of all the articles for the uh, executives. And uh, at that time, there were 10 newspapers in North and South Carolina that, that covered the Panthers on a daily basis. There was the Raleigh News and Observer, Greensboro Record, Winston-Salem Journal, Charlotte Observer, Gaston Gazette, Rock Hill Herald, Greenville News, Spartanburg Herald, the State and Columbia, and the Charleston Post and Courier. So there's a lot of coverage and excitement uh, about the Panthers in the very beginning. Uh, you know, some of my best memories of, of that first year uh, leading up to the first season were uh, the expansion draft in February of 1995. You know, when you started to fill out the roster, obviously we, we had signed some street free agents um, in December of 1994, the first 10 players in team history, you know, a couple of whom ended up making the team and and having some some good careers. Then that first uh, NFL draft in April of 1995 selected Kerry Collins. And I just remember the excitement of that day. You know, our draft headquarters were at the Winthrop Coliseum in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, where the football offices were while the stadium was under construction in Charlotte. You know, that that was a very special day. I remember uh, assigning our, our our first unrestricted free agents in in uh, 1995, John Casey, Mike Fox, meeting Sam Mills for the first time. And then right before our first season kicked off in 95, I got a full-time position in the community relations department. I did that for three years. I managed our charitable donations program where we sent items out to nonprofits and uh, charities and schools for fundraisers or incentive programs. And I coordinated our player appearance program and have a lot of good memories of getting to know the players and taking them to different appearances um, in the community. Uh, we had a really super group of guys to work with. My major in college was uh, journalism, so I had a strong writing background. And so in uh, 1998, we launched uh, the Panthers website. And at the time, the, the team was looking for someone to kind of be in charge of that project. They were looking for someone with a, not necessarily a technical background, but someone with a writing background who could create the content on a daily basis. I launched Panthers.com in 1998 and managed the website through the 2016 season. When the website was launched, it was a staff of Warren. Uh, There's no video on the website. We didn't have photo galleries. It was, you know, the web experience was very different uh, then than it is now. Then in 2017, I had an opportunity to move into what is my current position, uh, Charlie Dayton, who had been our longtime director of communications and then served in our legends and historian role for two years, retired. And so I moved into his position and uh, managed our legends program from 2017 through last year. And also at the same time was doubling as our team historian and 
this past spring, I became full-time team historian and, and able to focus 100% of my time on preserving our history and telling our great organization's story. That's great. And the Panthers have had a really interesting history for being a fairly young expansion team, playing in several Super Bowls and being home to like Julius Peppers and Steve Smith and a bunch of like big time Hall of Fame type players. And so, David, I'm curious, like, how did your journalism background translate to the historian type role? Because there's still a lot of writing involved, I bet. But what are some other kind of evolution Um, of that? It's kind of a very natural transition. I see my role as a a historian um, to be a storyteller, to share the stories of the Panthers' history for our fans now and preserve that history and those stories for for generations to come. And so there's there's quite a bit of writing involved in, in what we do for every artifact that, that we have, you know, specifically game-worn artifacts like jerseys, cleats, gloves, just whatever it may be, footballs. You know, you just don't want to put the item in a box and close the box and let that be it. You know, for every item, you know, we do a very detailed description as to what it is, what game it was from, you know, what player did this belong to? Why is it significant? And and that why is it significant is where I have the opportunity to really write and tell the story. If someone were to come into our archive room 25 years from now, we want them to know why this is an important part of our history. And being able to express that in words, um, you know, is very, very important. Sorry, I'll brag no, on ahead. David for a second, because I think he doesn't give himself enough credit, you know, David, like you said, he has a journalism background and you can't see the archives, but we really do try to keep it up to, you know, museum standards. And we just visited the Pro Football Hall of Fame and had the North Carolina Museum of History come visit us and validated that we were doing a good job. So he doesn't have an archival background. So he doesn't know about like off gassing when he got into this role or acid free boxes, but he really made a point to he joined Isha and was networking and had educated himself so much. It's not just about preserving these objects, but kind of the science behind it, you know, so that these objects survive for generations to come. And he did such a phenomenal job. And I think we work really well together because I do have a traditional, you know, archival and historic background and training, but he, I call him our Rolodex of Panthers history. You can say, any player, whether he was here for three seconds or 30 years, like what game he knows what down. I mean, he, any, I did stump him the other day though. I did stump him on something asking him, but I think that's why we work so well as a team because David has just this rich knowledge and context of these objects. And I think where I come in, I'm able to make sure that these objects live for a really long time from the preservation aspect of it. Yeah, it sounds like a great team effort with those balance of skills for sure. Back to you, Heather. Like the first time I heard your voice, it was like on a Zoom call with ISHA, the International Sports Heritage Association. And I thought you made a really interesting point about, I think you used the word coping because museum spaces are becoming more digitized and um, the shift to more digital-based artifacts, you kind of lose some of that like hands-on knowledge, the like the history of an object can get lost when it's over a screen. And so I was just curious if you could elaborate on that for our listeners and just kind of share kind of your thoughts about that shift to being more digital. But I still find it cool to see an old helmet or see an old jersey. So 
What's kind of that balance like for you and kind of elaborate on that coping feeling? I think I say coping because I tend to spiral when I think about it, because as we go into a more digital age and digital born artifacts, especially in the space that we're in, I think we're really unique working for a professional sports organization because history is happening before our very eyes. Like it's, it's very contemporary. And, you know, within the past three years, we don't have season physical tickets anymore. All of our tickets are digital. You know, that used to be a really cool asset that we could have in the archive. A lot of times on the sidelines, they don't have, they're not drawing out plays or, you know, they've got the iPads now, press releases, it, they just go out differently. You know, we're not doing clips anymore. We're not physically clipping something out of a newspaper. You know, our communications interns are pulling them off the web. And so I think a big thing with the digital shift to the earlier conversation, you know, some years ago when we started digitizing archives to make them more usable, you know, you don't get rid of the original, you know, you have this original paper memo, you digitize it, but you still keep the original because that's the original object. Now, the original object lives in like the cloud. And you want to preserve it, but we don't necessarily know how the cloud is going to degrade over time. I think we're just now starting to see with, uh, you know, early digital materials like floppy disks and stuff like that, how those degrade. And now disks seem like an antiquated thing, you know, when you had film rolls that you could put onto a DVD, but now a DVD isn't even really a thing. It seems like we just keep moving faster and faster with innovation and it's hard to keep up. But I think it's hard too, because we don't know how these degrade. So I don't know if there's necessarily a good answer on how we cope with it, but I think being conscious of it, that there is such a shift, but still material culture and physical objects are never really going to go away. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when you like digitally put a uniform and a player for an actual game. I mean, you can mock it up, obviously, but I think it just, it speaks to the space that we work into, working in such a contemporary space where you find the balance of not being a journalist or a news reporter, you're being a historian. But yeah, it's, I spiral about it. When we were at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we were talking to them about it. I was like, I can't talk about it too much because I start to like have a nuclear meltdown about what the right answer is but I think we're still figuring it out as a whole definitely it's got to be that balance in a museum space even and then on kind of the back end with the staff like having kind of those knowledge bases of here's how we work with a database and here's how we work with digital files <laughs> and then you have to learn how to handle jerseys from the from the 90s in your instance or from like the 1890s and like the pro football hall of fame's instance so it's yeah it's definitely a balance and then younger folks like expect that in a museum like that's what my brother resonates with because he doesn't like museums me and him are very different but he loves the video he loves the interactive stuff I'm more towards like the physical objects and kind of the older artifacts so you can't please everybody in every way but kind of having a balance and then learning how to care for these items too like you pointed out Heather is a really big part of that and I'm curious for you David I know this wasn't your role initially but how did the Panthers kind of start tracking their history with like the expansion draft and the first few games and the Super Bowls and things like that? As I mentioned, we did not really establish a team historian role until the 2015 season. 
that role was filled by Charlie Dayton, who started with the organization as the team's director of communications shortly after the franchise was awarded. So even though we didn't have a historian from day one, we had someone in the role who had been a part of the organization since almost day one. So Charlie had just a phenomenal amount of institutional knowledge. You know, one of the benefits for, for our organization was, you know, we started the uh, historian's role, you know, before the organization turned 25 years old. So that seems like a long time, but when you're thinking about, well, some teams, some other NFL teams are much, have a much uh, longer history than the Panthers do, and they have not documented or, or preserved their history. So in the grand scheme of things, there wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't a lot of catching up to do. Or, or it could have been a much more difficult task than it was. I think we have a pretty robust collection of artifacts uh, from the team's history. We have some some things that I'm very proud of from the franchise beginnings, the efforts to acquire franchise for the Carolinas. We've done a much better job of of getting items here recently since Charlie and I have been in the role. Yes, there are some things that are missing from the from the years in between. But I think um, we have a very representative collection of, of the Panthers of what is now going to be our 29th NFL season. And I think, you know, there's an awareness within the organization now that, that we do have a historian. So before we clean out a closet, before we get rid of something, hey, let's call David, let's call Heather. Maybe this has some interest to them. So I think, you know, preserving the team history is, you know, while Heather and I are, are the historical programs department. It's a team-wide effort to preserve our history and kind of getting everybody on board and realizing the importance and the significance of telling the Carolina Panthers story. Yeah, Definitely. I was going to say that exact same thing, David. Like that when we got that call and David, well, David told me that Los was like, hey, let me call David before I throw this stuff away. I think it shows the work that we've been doing because we've been really intentional to try and educate the Carolina Panthers as a whole, like every department, not only what we do from when we're accessing stuff in the collection and pres preservation aspect, but how we can collaborate and how different departments like our marketing department or our social media department can use the archive as a resource. Another really good example is how we really worked closely with our social media department when the Frank Reich hire was finalized. They're like, do you happen to have any Frank Reich stuff? And we we're like, absolutely we do. We have the original spot board from our play-by-play -play announcer from the first like four games of the season. It's just not a manila envelope, but it's literally a spot board and it has Frank Reich on there as quarterback. Like, so they had this piece and we have little action figures of Frank Reich. We have a football from the inaugural season that he signed. And so collaborating with them to tell a really cool story, because I think it is a really cool angle that he was the Carolina Panthers first ever quarterback. He threw the first touchdown in team history. He made the first start. And one of the most beautiful pieces that we found was actually a photo from the Pro Football Hall of Fame game from 1995 when we played the Jaguars. And he was a team captain and they're lined up on the sideline and Sam Mills was also a captain during that game. So here is Sam Mills, someone who means so much to this organization, who created the identity of what it means to be a Carolina Panther, standing beside our new head coach. Um, so that was a really powerful you know, piece that we were able to find and share with our fans and tell that story. And so I think 
not only are people coming to us like, hey, do you want this? But also coming to us saying, how can we collaborate and tell our story? So it's been really fun. And I think we've seen tremendous progress in that space in the past three years. And I can't wait to see how it continues to grow. Yeah, that's great. And it it shows that it's a whole organization effort. And David, I didn't realize it was 29 seasons that this will be the, the 29th. And that's a long time. And so you all have a, a hall of honor. I was looking on the website and even being a fairly young expansion franchise, like you've had legends that are now enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, like Sam Mills, and then in your own team hall of honor. And so I'm curious, like how that process works for um, induction into the Panthers Hall of Honor and what that what that process is like, because I know it, it can vary a little bit team to team. Yeah, sure. Our Hall of Honor was established in 1997. And the first person to be inducted was Mike McCormick, who consulted with the Richardson family on getting the expansion team. And then Mr. McCormick uh, was the first general manager of the Panthers and then was later became president. In 1998, uh, following his retirement, Sam Mills was inducted into the Hall of Honor. And then we did not have any more Hall of Honor inductees for quite some time. And then when David Tepper became the owner in 2018, the Hall of Honor was something that he wanted to bring back. 2019, we added Jake DeLome, Jordan Gross, Steve Smith, and Wesley Walls. As you mentioned, you know the Panthers have been around for 29 years now. We actually have some guys who wore the Panthers jersey who are going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And last year, Sam Mills was kind of the really the first person who was recognized as a Panther who was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So we put a lot of attention and effort on that milestone last year. And then this year, we're going to be adding uh, Musin Muhammad and Julius Peppers. That's great. Those are some great players. And I love Julius Peppers. I think when I was at the Football Hall of Fame this summer, there was like a Panthers group that was coming through. And so my coworker, Brad, like was pulling some Panthers items for them. And one of them was this like bright blue Julius Peppers jersey. And it was like very stark and very colorful and very big, obviously, him being a, a big defensive lineman. So that was kind of a cool jersey that, that they had in the collection. So I would love to hear from Heather now about kind of that balance between fandom and like rooting for the Panthers versus working for the Panthers. And I've asked this of like various other folks that work for organizations, because I know you're just like spending so much time and investment into these players. But then for me, like I love being a fan of various teams too. And so it's, it's probably a, a difficult balance, but I'm curious about your perspective there. Speaking of Julius Peppers, I will say, so, you know, starting as an intern here in 2019, I feel I had never really seen a professional I had never even been into a professional football in sta NFL stadium so I'd never really seen a football player up close um and so I was sitting at my desk and I hear this like deep voice and I'm like it really sounds like someone who's large and like could play football and I turn around and in my boss's doorway like literally taking up the entirety of the doorway is Julius Peppers and so he Julius I, I just think he's the best. I just have so much respect for him. He's just such a great person. But he was actually like interning with the Carolina Panthers because this was after he retired and he wanted to see kind of what the business side looked like. So he was the first ever player I saw that like broke that fourth wall. Like, okay, these are real people. Like, this is normal. This is fine. But 
we would have our little coffee as co-interns in the break room and he would hold a cup and it would look like it's like a little espresso mug. But I think 2019 was a hard adjustment for me because I definitely, like I said, Appalachian State football was my life. I was very invested in it. Like it dictated my mood for the week. And so now coming into a professional franchise and I think we can get really excited because obviously Sunday is what we work for, you know, that's everything we work for is to make sure that Sunday goes good. And so I think I had to find a balance to like, okay, I'm not on the field. I didn't make this win. I didn't make us win or lose. Like we can be excited, but one of our um, communications director, Bruce Spate, he told me a really good, and I've stuck with it ever since that their football has a 24 hour rule. You have 24 hours to feel what you're feeling, to be upset, to be excited. And then after that, we've got to move on because we've got to focus on the next opponent. So I would always, I think I give myself 24 hours to like be sad or be really excited and then shift my focus to kind of compartmentalize it in a way. But it, you never really get, I don't know if I, you ever really get used to it. I think David can speak to it more, you know, being his 29th year with the Carolina Panthers. But I watched some of the games from the press box and anybody who's been in a press box knows you got to be quiet up there. So now I'm working on having like reserved emotions on game day and not exclaiming really loud in a working press box. Yeah. I'm curious, David, about your thoughts on that because you've, you've been with the team for so long. Oh, for sure. There is no balance between being a fan of the Panthers and my job. I am a 100% Panthers fan. I bleed black and blue. Everybody claims to be the biggest fan of the team, and I am a huge fan of the team. There's nothing more that I want to do than than win on Sunday and win the Super Bowl at the end of the season. You know that that's why we do this. We do it to 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 win the Super Bowl, to be the world champions. So 100% fan. There is no balance. Now, I, I'll tell you where the now Heather's right. You have that 24-hour rule. Can't get too high after a win. Can't get too low after a loss. You just gotta move on and and get ready for the next week. But what I will say is, for you do have to find that balance. Andrew is one of the projects that I'm working on is called this date in Panthers history. I'm trying to find a significant event or events from every single day of the calendar year about the Panthers. It's kind of like one of those 365 day a year calendars where you rip it off each day and there's a different fact. Yep. I have a Um, chief's calendar this morning. I just ripped off the new, the new fact like that. Okay. (laughs) Well, I am working on that. And the long-term goal is to, you know, be able to put that online, whatever, and kind of associate uh, description with a photo and or a video. And so the way I'm sourcing this is I'm reading back through all of those clips that I used to cut out of the paper starting in 1994 going forward. And finding that balance means every moment in Panthers history is not a positive one. And if mm-hmm. there's something negative that happened, that shows up in this day in Panthers history, whether it was a disappointing loss or an injury or something negative that may have happened off the field. That's kind of my job. I've got I got to tell the good and the bad for our fans. So that's where the, that's where the balance comes in. But no question, I'm a fan. Yeah, because it's all history, right? The good and the bad, the wins and the losses. And that is kind of a, a difficult thing to kind of realize. But as Heather said, like when Bryce Young starts on Sunday and we're recording this on September 7th, right before week one, 
like that'll be first start first game for Frank Reich as coach like those right. kind of historical moments so going back to the to the negative so in 2001 Panthers went one in 15 were in the first game of the season lost 15 consecutive games after that that negative season shaped our 2003 Super Bowl run by going one in 15 we had the second pick in the draft we selected Julius Peppers one in 15. What we, we formed the foundation of our offensive line. Our number one pick in the 2003 draft was our starting right tackle on the Super Bowl team, Jordan Gross. But the foundation for that offensive line was formed in 2001. We had signed Jeff Mitchell as a free agent from the Ravens, uh, guard Kevin Donnelly as a free agent from the Dolphins, and our left tackle Todd Stucey as a free agent from the Vikings. So even though we went more than 15, we started to put pieces in place that would play key roles on turning the franchise around and leading us to the Super Bowl in 2003. And it's actually so, the 20th anniversary of that year. If yeah. you want to hear David talk more about it, the Panthers actually have a podcast called Cardiac um, that they've launched this year, honoring the 20th anniversary of that Super Bowl team and interviewing guys that are on the team and our lovely historian, David Moreau, given that context. That sounds cool. I'll link to that on the show notes for folks that want to listen. And I may check that out because that's I think that's one of like the first few NFL seasons that I remember and can remember a lot of those guys in that Super Bowl. So that's a neat, uh, neat podcast. And one of the interesting things about history is until you go back and look at history years after something has happened, you may not know when it happens, if it's a a significant historical moment or not. Mm -hmm. So time gives you perspective on different things. So you know, if while we're in the midst of that one in 15 season, you're thinking it's all bad, you know, all negative. But when you look back at it, there were some positives that came out of that. And, you know, there are going to be some things that happened this year that obviously Bryce Young's first start, Coach Reich's first win, those are definitely historical moments. But there are going to be other things that happened this year that we may not realize are historically significant until we go back and, and look at them five years from now. Yeah, sports are definitely definitely so cyclical and those kind of cycles of winning and losing. And it made me think of the the Chiefs, my hometown team. 2012 was so bad. They were two and 14, fired Romeo Cornell, but then that that led to Andy Reid being hired and like that set this 10-year run in motion. So it's the good and the bad and comes in waves. And um as we wrap up here, I have kind of a last question for both of you. I would love to like hear a story or some sort of kind of moment that had a big impact um, either with the Hall of Honor or just with kind of even the franchise history in general, whether that's like in the Charlotte community or um, the whole Carolina region or beyond. But just curious if you have any stories that either of you would want to share about the kind of impact of the work you do. David kind of talked about the mobile museum and we don't have a brick and mortar museum at the Carolina Panthers. So you can kind of see it. Our listeners can't, but behind David, it's like this box that folds open and it's got like acrylic windows and different compartments. So we can kind of curate a mobile exhibit. And so when Sam Mills was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame last year, um, that was like the second year we had had the mobile museum. We were still trying to really figure out how to use it in an impactful way. And so we curated it all about Sam and his journey to getting to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I think being able to tell his story at every home game and we rotate it throughout the stadium throughout the season. So we multiple 
you know, groups of fans can see it. We're impacting as many fans as possible. And just, I think, like David said, we didn't know in the moment when Sam was playing, you know, we did know, but we didn't. So we don't have a lot of artifacts from him. So it was getting creative about how we told his story. And I think we did a really good job because, you know, we have the original helmet with the logo that never made it, that Mr. Richardson commissioned a graphics artist in California and that he sat in front of Commissioner Tagliabue when he was pitching the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, what was our identity going to be back then? And I pulled a lot of quotes from, you know, newspapers at the time and national coverage. And it was like, they're the Cougars or whatever. They just like, there's this, we didn't have an identity. And Sam immediately came in and defined what it meant to be a Carolina Panthers player. And in 1996, I believe, he was featured on the cover of the media guide. He's the only player to ever be featured on the cover of the media guide. And when I found that, I called Charlie Dayton and asked him, I said, why did you do this? And he said, it just felt right. Sam had already come to define what the Carolina Panthers were, even before the 2003 season with him being diagnosed with cancer and keep pounding, you know, so just telling that story. And I think being able to show these pieces with the fans, you know, we have our photographers that go around on game day and seeing a dad who probably with his son, who's like 10 years old, just seeing that generational bridge, you know, being able to share that between families. I think Sam has meant so much to the Carolinas. I think last year was just really special, but having this space where people could congregate to really reflect on what he meant and his story with the Carolina Panthers was really, really cool. And seeing how that resonated with the fans. I think, like we said, the digital age, everyone's attention span is like five seconds, but we would kind of like walk by to see. And there's our owner, Nicole Tepper, actually walked by to try and see it. One time she was like, I couldn't even get on the other side because there were so many people looking at it. And they would stand for like three to five minutes reading everything. And that it just was a moment of like why what we do is important and that we did him justice in the time where it was like, because it was his last year of eligibility to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame before he would go to the senior committee. So it was just really, really special. And one of my favorite pieces is we actually had his um, player file. So back when everything was paper. So it was like fines that he had and he didn't have, but like two, because Sam was just that kind of guy in his player contract. But my favorite thing is that when he retired, he actually sent a memo to Commissioner Tagliabue. And that's not normal. Like guys don't do that. But he did it out of respect. And just, it it was very brief. It was like three sentences saying his intentions of retiring and that he wanted to let him know. And so we had that open to kind of like show the end of his career and the shift. But I think that was really, really cool for a multitude of reasons, but especially bridging the generational gap and revalidating what Sam Mills meant to the Carolina Panthers, because Sam Mills is the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Heather. David, what about your story? Yeah, I'd say it's hard for me to quantify or answer you know, what my impact has been. It's probably easier for others to answer that than than me. I think what I would go back and say is highlight five of my best memories with the franchise. You know, Warren, having the opportunity as a community relations assistant in my early 20s 
to really get to know these professional athletes on another level, you know, off the field and just getting lost in the car with them, taking them to an appearance, you know, telling stories, just having these other experiences that you might not normally uh, get to have with a NFL player. Launchingpanthers.com uh, in 1998 is a highlight of my career. Going to Super Bowl 38, Super Bowl 50, tremendous. Hope we have an opportunity to go to more and win. As I said before, that's why we do this. The Hall of Honor dinner in 2019, to have the opportunity to really recognize Jake DeLome, Jordan Gross, Steve Smith, Wes Walls, four men that I had an opportunity to work closely with and alongside with as a community relations assistant and while I was on Panthers.com. It meant a lot to be able to, to be a part of an event that recognized them for their tremendous contributions to this organization. But overall, I'd say I'm just, I feel lucky. I uh, feel blessed to be able to to do this uh, as long as I have. You know, I tell people, you know, one day I'm going to have to grow up and, and get a real job, you know, or I tell people, I, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I mean, this is so much fun, so much fun. I really enjoy um, what I do and I'm happy that we work for, for an ownership that sees the value in, in what we do. That's definitely a big part of it, that whole organizational approach as we discussed. So thank you both for your time, David and Heather. This was a really fun conversation, made me even more excited for football season. And I hope to get back to Charlotte. I have a couple um, friends that live in that area and would love to get back and go see a Panthers game, maybe when the when the Chiefs are in town next. So thank you both for your time. Panthers host the Chiefs uh, next season. There you go. Yeah, and I will yeah. definitely link to um, the podcast you mentioned and the team website and some of those other other links as well, because the Panthers do have that that rich history, even though a younger franchise. So thank you both, David and Heather. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrew. We'll treat, we'll treat you to some North Carolina barbecue, let you compare it to the Kansas City Q and uh, keep pounding and go Panthers. You can find the Carolina Panthers Hall of Honor online through the team's website or by visiting their mini museum on game days at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can find more information about the Hall of Honor in the show notes for this episode. Thanks to David and Heather for their time and for such a fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Hallowed Ground on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss our next one. Also, leaving a five-star rating and review helps this podcast gain exposure on those various apps. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.